Welcome to a special holiday episode of AI Transform with Ryo Kotsky. Instead of our usual news and analysis on AI-driven business transformation, this time we're exploring how the computer science of deep learning and neural networks has crossed paths with the mind and music of one of the greatest composers ever in the form of an AI experiment called Beethoven X. This fascinating project brought together leading artificial intelligence researchers, musicologists, composers, and Beethoven scholars to challenge the limits of technology and redefine the space between humans and machines in the world of art. We spoke with those involved, including Dr. Ahmed Algamal and composer Walter Wurzawa, and those with a more critical view of the project. Beethoven scholar and musicologist Dr. Barry Cooper and author-composer Jan Swafford. To get us started, here's Ignitus AI Executive Director and AI Transform Major Domo, Joel Kotsky, with me, Douglas Kirkpatrick, and Dave McCombs. Instead of doing the regular show, we're doing something very special today. What do you think of when you think of December? Well, lots of things. It's the end of the year, so everybody seems to be busy. There's the Nobel Prizes, lots of parties, lots of lights. We have Advent and, of course, Christmas, Hanukkah, New Year's Eve. Well, one of the things that comes up, Beethoven, he was born in December, and his work, in particular the Ninth Symphony, has built up this association with Christmas. And that's not just in his home country of Germany and Europe. It's also in Japan, which has always struck me as odd. I have lived in Germany for a long time, and in Germany, Beethoven is played, especially around this season. But yes, I do know there is this big concert that happens every year uh, in Japan. Well, many may not know that uh, Germany and Japan were actually on opposite sides of the war in World War I, partly with designs on the German-occupied territories in China and the Pacific. So when they joined the war, they brought German prisoners of war back to Japan. And Bondo was a prisoner of war camp and apparently this prison of war camp was pretty lax. Prisoners were allowed to have their own newspaper, and they were allowed to take little tours, supervised tours. They even formed their own orchestra, and they especially liked the Ninth Symphony. So they got this orchestra together, and the other prisoners that weren't playing instruments were in the chorus, and they did a performance for the local Japanese music lovers. And it was so popular, they asked them to do it again. And so then after the war, NHK, which is the national broadcaster in Japan, their orchestra started playing this regularly, and they did it a lot around Christmas time. And it just became a Japanese tradition, because the big part of the Ninth Symphony is the Ode to Joy. Which is adapted from Schiller's poem. That's the fourth movement of the Ninth Symphony. You'll hear these Japanese choruses of up to 10,000 people in the chorus singing this every year. In Germany, they often perform the ninth on New Year's Eve, and they time it so that the fourth movement, with the Ode to Joy, comes just after midnight, bringing in the new year. Well, what could be more appropriate than that for a holiday show? I'm dying to learn more about this, about how 
artificial intelligence and Beethoven have crossed paths. This is fascinating. So with the 250th anniversary of Beethoven's birth coming up in 2020, they began this project called Beethoven X, and X is also the Roman numeral for 10. And that was using AI to complete the unfinished 10th symphony by Beethoven. I mean, even before the AI was introduced, like this team did for his music, one of the things that the artist I've read that is attributing to his work is this pattern of riffs. I um, just heard the other day uh, somebody saying, before Chuck Berry, there was Beethoven. These patterns that he produced with few notes, those few patterns, few riffs that we know very well. There you go. <laughs> that being one. Most famous four notes in yeah. history, right? And uh, many, many songs thereafter. Even today, rock music, metal music. There's always these riffs playing in the background. You know, there are some interesting issues that come to mind. What about the egos and territoriality of man and machine? Some relatively recent history, 1997, IBM's Deep Blue defeats world chess champion Gary Kasparov. 2011, IBM's Watson defeats the Jeopardy champions, showing it can outdo them in human knowledge and wordplay and nuances of language. In 2016, you had AlphaGo defeating the 18-time World Go champion. So, with Beethoven X, would AI be taking one more step in making the human mind redundant or superfluous? And should we worry? This idea of territoriality is very important and interesting. When you take someone like Beethoven who's been studied, I mean, Dr. Cooper has written eight books about Beethoven. So it's, it's a subject that's been studied at, at length and in depth. So you do have people making a lot of claims to understand what he was about and what he, what he might have done and what he might not have done. A project like this could be very challenging. The power of AI to identify pattern is very, very well known. And we've been talking about this in the show quite a lot. But to apply AI for creativity, creative art like this, can this be successful? But also about this project, I wonder what were their goals and did they succeed? Do they feel like they succeeded? And I would say that Beethoven's work does seem formidable. We're talking about someone who is not only associated with great music, he's also associated with breaking the rules, with this kind of creativity, cerebral kind of artwork that is, is very human. Even his themes, not, not only was his process and his style of music very human-centric, but also the basic concept of his music was about humanity, as, or at least certainly the Ninth Symphony, the Brotherhood of Man. So it, this is a really high bar they've set with this project for applying technology to the world of art. Beethoven said something about his Fifth Symphony, which is the famous one you referenced before. And he said, this is the sound of fate knocking at the door. So the question is, is this the sound of AI knocking at humanity's door? Ah. Uh. Ludwig van Beethoven was bedridden. A series of operations by Vienna's top surgeons had failed. In the winter of 1827, the great composer was dying. His musical career had reached a summit. He had completed his Ninth Symphony, a transcendent masterpiece that cemented his place among the greatest European composers. Yet as death approached, he kept working. On March 26, 1827, 
At the age of 56, Beethoven breathed his last. Along with the magnificent trove of compositions, he left behind sketches and notes for an unfinished Tenth Symphony. The Philharmonic Society of London had commissioned and paid for the piece, and based on the immense appeal of his Ninth Symphony, expectations had soared. But it was not to be. Beethoven had started on the Tenth, but that is all. The Philharmonic Society would have to live without Beethoven's Tenth Symphony. Now, more than two centuries later, Beethoven's star has yet to dim. And for decades, musicologists have mused over what the Tenth Symphony might have sounded like. In the late 1980s, UK-based Beethoven scholar Barry Cooper discovered and collected musical sketches from the great composer and, around them, created a first movement of Beethoven's Tenth. The work premiered in Liverpool in 1988 and was recorded by the London Symphony Orchestra. More than 160 years after his death, the maestro did deliver the symphony the Philharmonic Society had commissioned after a fashion. Well, well the London Philharmonic sent Beethoven some money to help him in, because he was very ill, and he thanked them and said he could offer them in, in exchange a symphony which he'd already sketched in his desk. And so, of course, he never sent them the symphony because he died a few days later. So when I got these sketches together, this same Philharmonic Society, still going 161 years later, said, can we have our symphony? And I said, <laughs> this is only my reconstruction, so it's not quite what Beethoven would have done, but it's the best I can do. They said, well, we'd like that anyway. So they got the premiere of it, which is what they wanted. As a musical experiment, it drew some attention. It was performed that year in Japan as well, where Cooper conducted the Yomiuri Nippon Symphony Orchestra's rendering. Beethoven fans were intrigued, to be sure. Yet the work was also understood as a musicologist's composition, based on Beethoven's notes and a devoted scholar's understanding of the great composer's process. Over three decades later, machine learning and related technologies were pushing toward breakthroughs across the fine arts. Amid such promise, scholars at the Karian Institute proposed Beethoven X, an all-out effort to use artificial intelligence to attempt to complete the Tenth Symphony in celebration of the 250th anniversary of Beethoven's birth. The Salzburg-based institute was tantalized in particular by advances in machine learning and natural language processing. Could these emergent systems allow for the creation of a full rendering of Beethoven's Tenth? It was an audacious question. The challenges were enormous. Author and composer Jan Swafford. Being a composer is actually a, a long, refined skill. And I've written for orchestra. I'm very familiar with Beethoven orchestral sound, but I wouldn't try to do that. And even when they asked Beethoven at one point, can you orchestrate this piece of Mozart? He didn't want to do it. He said, it's not going to tend to work. Mozart would have to do that himself. And so one of the greatest composers ever in history said, I'm not going to try to orchestrate Mozart because I wouldn't really know how to do it right. While music and math are like cousins, Beethoven wasn't an ordinary musician. His greatness emerged in part because he was a rule breaker. His boldness redefined the possibilities for music in the minds of Europeans. It's an appreciation now shared across the planet. So how, then, can technology that predicts future patterns based on the past predict the unexpected? To solve that puzzle, the Carrion Institute invited a team led by Rutgers University computer science professor Ahmed Elgamal. 
As founder and director of the Art and Artificial Intelligence Laboratory at Rutgers, Elgamal had been hard at work on resolving this tension between patterns and creativity. As part of that, he's explored what he calls creative adversarial networks. These competing neural networks can generate works of art by following the essence of patterns, without recreating them. L.A.-based Austrian composer Walter Wurzawa was on board to help co-write and arrange the music. First, I tried to prove him wrong, and then I realized, oh my God, this is the most amazing opportunity to be free and to learn just by comparing to seeing what did he do and not what he didn't do. And that angle is so important. This is such a different thinking, a new thinking, and working this business for 40 plus years. And this was an incredible freedom, I felt. The deep learning tools Elgamal's team built are based on generative adversarial networks. The so-called GANs have drawn attention because they can be used to generate sounds and images indistinguishable from the originals, known as deep fakes. They do this by pitting dual neural networks against each other, a generator against a discriminator. The former learns patterns and produces images to match those patterns. The latter learns the patterns as well and then filters images created by the generator rejecting all those that don't match the original closely enough while raising the bar continuously. As the two networks take in more and more annotated data and generate more and more images, they get smarter and smarter. Eventually, the generator learns to produce images indistinguishable from the originals. The beauty now of our tool of my partner AI is that Ahmed convinced me, and I was just so stuck in that old paradigm, when I said, it's like we have to have to, this rules and this rules and those rules. He said, no, 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 Walter, there are no constraints. I said, how can you do this? It's like music is rules. I said, no, it is that we have a corpus, meaning the corpus is what we teach the AI, the material we give the AI is basically, can almost compare the AI to a child. It's learning. It's That machine learning process is, it really remembers and learns whatever you give it. So this corpus was this bucket of Beethoven music and any music which influenced Beethoven. But a deep fake is almost the opposite of what an artist sets out to produce an original work that transcends what already exists. Elgamal's answer is to add yet another layer in the neural network that rejects images that are either too similar or too different. Before getting involved in the Beethoven project, he'd already trained an AI creative adversarial network on 80,000 images of the greatest works from art history, from Michelangelo to Kandinsky and even Warhol. One of the works generated by the network was featured in HBO's comedy series Silicon Valley. The abstract piece hangs on the wall of a venture capitalist and is described as the first work of art made by AI to be sold at Sotheby's. That was fantasy, of course, but Elgamal has gone far with efforts to generate visual art using AI. Check the show notes for links to more on those projects. You can even try some of them for yourself at Elgamal's Playform.io website. There you can create original images, manipulate photos, and create original sketches using AI.
while centuries of fine art images were available to train neural networks in Elgamal's visual art project, the data from Beethoven's entire body of work initially turned out to be insufficient for training an algorithm to predict strings of notes long enough to form a symphony movement. To do that, Elgamal's team fed their algorithm with works by Beethoven's most important predecessors, such as Haydn, his first important teacher, and Mozart, another profound influence. Some critics of the project have said no amount of data would be sufficient, because machines simply cannot reproduce the output of the human mind and spirit. Jan Swafford, a composer and author of Beethoven, Anguish and Triumph, is one of these. Well, computers can't be expressive. They can understand the dictionary definition of the word. Human creativity is totally involved in everything you are, living in a particular time and place with a particular set of experiences. What you do is like a fingerprint. It's unique to you. And that has to do with the direction of your interests and your talents and your experience and your likes and your dislikes. Maybe there's a a romantic interest you might be trying to impress, or maybe you need to pay the rent. These are all human things that are involved in everything you do. It has to do with everything we are as human beings, down to the cellular level, I think. You can't feed all that into a computer in a way that adds up to a complete human being who is doing something that is unique to them. And the computer can't really even begin to mimic all that because it doesn't matter to the computer. Nothing matters to a computer. Everything matters to a human being. Inevitably, perhaps, some will frame the Beethoven X project as an attempt to supplant human creativity rather than to assist it. But the artists and data scientists behind the project have insisted the goal is the latter. Ergamal and Wurzawa responded. AI is just a tool. So the computer has to come and, and has a vision of what Beethoven would do with these, with these sketches. Those critics would say the AI was never lovesick. The AI um, was never drunk. Then I'm thinking, is this really the important essence of Beethoven? Is this what they want to focus on? Or is it the emotion he put through his brain into the fetaquil he held onto paper? And where does the emotion really start? Is he transferring the emotion now in the dots on the paper? Is it in the performance or is it in the eye of in the E of the beholder? So in that sense, the AI, our partner, our tool is the only way to analyze Beethoven from a neutral way. Because the AI didn't have that love sickness and the drunkenness and that neutral perspective, taking it in for what it is and what we think it could be, should be, was such an important process. And this is where the AI really is needed and was needed. Annotating. The process of breaking down data into categories is part of what marks the entire exercise as a project led by humans rather than robots, says Mark Gotham, the Cornell University professor and computational music expert on Elgamal's team. In a presentation at the Karyan Institute, Gotham said the annotation work is all the result of human decisions. Such decisions were also familiar to Harvard University musicologist Robert Levin, who previously completed unfinished 18th century works by Mozart and Bach. While those efforts didn't require data annotation, they did call on Levin to break down the patterns in each of the composer's works and create a mental template for reproducing their style. The Beethoven X project is perhaps the most interesting AI project in music currently, but the broader challenge of using AI for music is widespread. Almost a decade ago, 
David Cope of the University of Santa Cruz launched Experiments in Musical Intelligence, which used elements of AI to generate musical compositions. One such effort is called Zodiac and includes computer-generated works patterned on Vivaldi and, naturally, Beethoven. They're fun, but not something you'd easily mistake for masterpieces created by the maestros themselves. This new genre, AI music, even has its own awards program in the form of the AI Song Contest, won in 2021 by Listen to Your Body Choir, by the interestingly named m.o.g.i.i.7.e.d. Chinese electronics maker Huawei collaborated with composer Louis Cantor to use AI to complete Schubert's unfinished symphony. And for people who want to try this on their own, Amazon has introduced Deep Composer through its Amazon Web Services business. Users can tap the e-commerce giant's powerful AI setup to generate endless music based on melodies they input. Find links in the show notes. And yet, the Beethoven X project stands out. It's as daring as it is important. To get at why, think about who Beethoven was and how he worked. He began to go deaf before his 30th birthday. Here was a man whose incredibly acute hearing meant everything, or so he himself thought. Yet what his achievements show, and this AI project highlights, is that the engine of his creativity was not great skill or perfect pitch, it was Beethoven's uniquely gifted mind. In 1802, with full deafness approaching, Beethoven wrote a letter, now known as the Heiligenstadt Testament. In it, he describes his anguish at losing his hearing. He feels humiliated by this handicap, and yet, as we know, his greatest works were produced after the onset of deafness. He'd been blessed with absolutely perfect pitch, at a level known to very few. But even after losing his physical ability to recognize any pitch, he was able to imagine the same notes. What we know, then, is that perfect pitch was not merely a function of the physical structure of his ear or his brain, it was embedded into his mind. And so, as Beethoven's most important physical sense faded, he was driven ever deeper into his own musical imagination. One such notable result was the magnificent Ninth Symphony and its transcendent Ode to Joy. Along with all the human work of annotating data from symphonies and completing orchestrations, there was also a need to redo the first results of Beethoven X. Early versions of the symphony were not close enough to expectations, so the team went back to add more data and refine the models. The final result, orchestrated by composer Walter Wurzawa, debuted October 9, 2021, in Bonn, Germany, Beethoven's birthplace. Seda and Matthias Ruder, founders of The Mindshift, a consulting company involved with Beethoven X summed it up in a manifesto on the project. This is a turning point in history. Instead of asking whether someone is allowed to use AI in the creative process or to emulate the style of a creative superstar, we should be instilling the right mindset and the joy of experimentation to awaken the creative superstar inherent in everyone. It is high time we stop putting people into boxes only to later instruct them to think outside of the box. As the debates and reflections around our Beethoven experiment unfold, we must begin acting on that promise. Our world is closely coming out of the Industrial Age, 
But what's next is not the age of technology, digitalization, or transhumanism. It's the age of creativity. If Beethoven was known for breaking patterns or breaking the norms, I think that's one of the things that he thrived to do. If he had been around with technology like this, you know, he'd be breaking his own patterns and had uh, surpassed himself. Maybe the music world today would look completely different. I think this technology is going to be around for a while. This is art. What do you guys think? You know, I'm not very sophisticated musically, but if I listen to that, if, if someone puts that on and says, this is Beethoven, I'm definitely going to believe them. Yeah, I'm no expert either, but it does sound like a piece of classical music. But this is probably where some of the criticism comes from. I think some of the hype and promotions and media accounts of Beethoven X have been somewhat inconsistent. And I could see some advantages to being ambiguous or blurring those lines. It's definitely Beethoven's name and likeness that are most prominent on this thing. So maybe it hasn't been clear enough. Is this a Beethoven work assisted by AI and a human team based on its best guesses? An original AI written piece based on Beethoven? Or a Wurzawa piece picking up where Beethoven left off using the assistance of AI and others? Now, that might sound like splitting hairs, but I think, at least for some of us, that's an important distinction to make. It was a bit that sounded like a piece of music. Author composer Jan Swafford. I mean, I think this is really impressive in a way if what they were trying to do with the Beethoven 10th, the AI Beethoven 10th, is show that a computer can do a very complex job and convincing in some way job with human help, as it turns out, to create something that sounds like a classical piece of music, an extended classical piece of music, not just a little tune. That is impressive in its way. But if what they were trying to do is to create an, a piece by Beethoven that will go into the standard repertoires and other Beethoven symphony, that's just, that's hopeless. And I, I hope they weren't actually trying to do that because it, it's, it didn't work and it never will. Mm. I have to wonder whether that was a goal for this project, or is it to just was it just to complete Beethoven's X tenth as he had intended? We never said that we would compose like Beethoven. That was not the premise. Beethoven X composer Walter Wurzawa. But it's a project to work with Beethoven, with his genius, and see what happens. So in that sense, I think it was very very successful. You know, I think we need to give it some time if this is going to be have a similar reception or not. Yeah, it certainly was an awesome undertaking. Something like two million musical notes. First of all, we focused on the third and fourth movement because there was the least amount of information. A scherzo he wrote down. It was 24 bars. He said he would like to have old church modal hymn. In that sense, he also said he would like to have a fugue. He pointed to a work he wrote, kind of older sounding piece. And he pointed to his Pathetic. It's one of his hit, and he had an idea to a 6-8 bar theme, which is eight bars. He had some letters and scribbles. It's a huge span of different emotions and inputs and outputs. And remember, this is only the third and fourth movement. So usually a symphony has four movements. Uh, Barry Cooper did his version of the first movement, and this was the third and fourth. Most of the harmony was correct, and the orchestration was mostly effective. But the shape of the piece was completely wrong, really. It was completely amorphous. And what they'd done was they'd fed into this computer 
not only the themes from the first movement, but the themes from all these other possible movements. The computer then jumbled them all up, um, came out with some snatches of motifs. It didn't know how to develop the themes properly, so it either repeated them or played them in a different key. So the net result was it had no shape to it at all. My one, I did try very hard to follow what the sketches implied as well as what they said. Yeah, I mean, they were making an effort to sound like Beethoven, but they didn't quite get there. Things just tend to kind of sit there. They don't have a sense of necessity. There are no particular wow moments. Whoa, where did that come from? Beethoven is very good at wow moments. It's not Beethoven and it's not human. Yeah, I mean, again, it's, it's a topic of predicting what he would have done. And based on what? This very uh, small set of information we have, and the scholars are projecting all that in this manifestation thereof. I picked and, and put something together, arranged it quickly for a string quartet. And we asked the journalist to raise the hand when they think it turned from the original Beethoven motive into AI and what we are doing. So it's interesting that yeah, nobody figured it out, and there were music critics in there as well. It might work for non-musicians, but for musicians and some musically sensitive people, I don't believe it'll ever work. And, and even if it did, it wouldn't matter. <laughs> it would matter once, and after that, you don't care. But then 99% of the audience is not professionally trained in music when they listen to. And we write and produce for the person next door. We don't write only for the academic. A music critic came in when it was performed with the real orchestra and said, um, you guys, that's a cheap ripoff of the Fifth Symphony and pointed to that theme. It's kind of an inverse of the Fifth Symphony and saying, you know, I have to admit this is not the theme I wrote or the AI wrote. This is the theme, but he wrote that and it's his music and it's originally him in his handwriting, which was a little bit embarrassing for the critic. Yeah, I, I wasn't surprised to find that Dr. Cooper didn't find the recreation totally convincing. Even with all the human intervention in this project in the form of annotating the symphony data, building the orchestration, it's still hard to believe that a score written essentially by pattern recognition and a generation algorithm can achieve the greatness of a one-in-a-billion mind like Beethoven's. You know, we should probably point out that in his own way, Beethoven was not only the rock star of his day, he was also an innovator or kind of disruptor in the music business. And I don't just mean by adding a chorus to the Ninth Symphony or that the first professional orchestras had to be formed to play his works because they were so involved. He was an early adopter of the extended modern piano keyboard, which helped him compose for more instruments and also write more intricate music for the piano as well. And because of his deafness, he transitioned from performer, which is how people usually made their living in music, to composer. And changes in copyright protection and technology and music publishing meant he understood he could support himself this way. There has been times when the craft of artists is one of the last thing that will be replaced by the machines. I, I would go with that. I would vote with that for sure. I think the world of art would be one of the last bastions of full human control, partly because people are interested in art in no small part because they're interested in artists. You have persona. Wherever you have creators, people who create things, their persona generates interest. You know, we, we don't just want to listen to a Bruce Springsteen song. We want to hear Bruce 
perform it. We want to put it into the context of his other songs that he's performed. We want to understand it in a sense that we we understand what he intended it to mean. What he intended subjectively. Yeah. And that's computers are very good, we know, at doing objectively verifiable facts, but doing things that are subjectively true. Well, I think that comes down to how we appreciate art. We appreciate art for what it is, but also for where it's come from, the story behind it, the explanation, the backdrop. We're very interested in that. Mm. When an AI makes an art, that's really hard to say. Where did it how did it really arrive to that? All the data that's that's contributed to it. How was it how were they created? Well you can ask that question, but it doesn't it's not talking about one single person's life or a journey to it. It's probably of many, many journeys that it's kind of abstract. You know, composing is very hard work. Here you have something like generative adversarial networks, creative adversarial networks. These are working 24-7, creating these patterns, creating these raw materials from which artists will create real art. You have to imagine that this is going to be a very important tool for artists moving ahead, much in the same way that synthesizers changed the way music is created. The photography changed the way art is made. So this, this is also something that's going to change the way art is produced. I'm, I'm very much convinced of that. And it's moving very, very quickly. But what's really more important is that it's the humans who learn to use such tools that will always be creating art that is still more magnificent. Thanks for listening to AI Transform with me, Ryo Katsuki. Please subscribe, like, and share the podcast. If you like it, please give us five-star rating. Send us any questions or comments to podcast at ignitus.ai. That's podcast at I-G-N-I-T-U-S dot A-I. Now, it wasn't the first time that they've used AI for composing music. No, far from it. Numerous organizations are, are doing this. It's really blossoming now. There, there are dozens of projects that we were able to find out about uh, in the process of researching the show. Uh, Sony actually, about five years ago, they did a project where they tried to create uh, another Beatles song, and they actually did. They created a song. It doesn't sound fantastic, but you can definitely recognize it as a Beatles song. And they used an algorithm to write that song and to create it, not to perform it, but to create it. So it's an amazing project. And I do sort of wonder, rather than taking on something like Beethoven, something so complex, so subtle, such a real magnificent work of art, suppose they had just taken on another band like the Ramones, where every song basically sounds almost the same anyway, and created some new Ramones song. Uh, I'm sure that's going to happen. And, and that sort of project has been happening with pop music, AI song contests, and and there's a lot going on in this section of AI. Well, Google did their AI doodle harmonizer, which allowed you to create melodies in the style of Bach. Right, to actually create a composition. And the attempt is to recreate something that has yet to be created. So it's really really mind-bending when you think about it. And it's a, a really high bar to test what are the outer limits of this kind of technology as to how it can be applied in the world of art. And also, how do you make it sound like something interesting and not just like a deep fake, right? In fact, the derogatory name for some of the people for the project, they called it Deep Ludwig. 
I don't know, maybe you've seen the video of different composers, including Beethoven, doing a deep fake lip-syncing disco songs from the 70s or 80s. You say deep Ludwig, right? I'm predicting that this will be far from the first. I think when this technology gets developed, this very specific application where they take the work of an existing artist that is incomplete and seek to complete it is going to be its own genre. Now, the idea of taking AI and writing music with it from the get-go, I think that's a whole different approach. And I think that that's going to take more time and that's going to be its own genre as well. But I think we're going to see a lot more of this. And Beethoven X is just the start. And what a magnificent start it is. I mean, to take on someone like Beethoven is really daunting. What data do you want for your business? And if you had that data, how would you transform your operation? We are here to help you find the transformational answers to these questions. The power of data science is stoking an accelerating change at organizations and in the business environment itself. To keep up, you need hyper-agility. Big data must play a constructive, creative, human-centered role. This kind of change works best when it fits with and emerges from your business's DNA. We've helped car makers, pharmaceutical research organizations, hospitality providers, and others transform their businesses using these tools. Let us do the same for you. Find more at ignitus.ai. That's I-G-N-I-T-U-S dot A-I. Transform AI with Ryo Kotsky is brought to you by Ignitus AI a technology consulting firm that delivers digital transformation. I think there's another completely different aspect to look at here, and that's the, the commercial aspects for this. Deutsche Telekom was a big sponsor of this. They've jumped into AI in a big way. And I think a project like this gives them a whole new audience of people who are interested in the world of art to take a look at this. And so they're getting a lot of publicity in this. And of course, they're using AI at Deutsche Telekom to do everything from fending off cyber attacks to help customers with chatbots and optimize their network traffic. Uh, they're even working with Rio's alma mater, UC Berkeley, on an app that pulls smartphone accelerometers during an earthquake to create a network of sensors. So as we can see, unlike some other tools of art, like say a synthesizer or photography, this is actually much broader in terms of how it's affecting society. Even though it's applied specifically to art here, this is a very dramatic technology that's really changing the way so many different things are done. Yeah. I mean, if you look at the, the world of DJs and then now to today, the concert goers go to DJ concerts and all they're looking at is electronic display and one person sitting in front of a synthesizer. That's art. And the music you know is being played a lot by help of computers and machines and synthesizers and AI. Classical music may be headed in the same direction. I think it's going to be a question how collaborative this will all be and how, you know, we talk about, you know, territoriality, how territorial it will be. I know, Dave, you spoke with Barry Cooper. It was surprising to me that this Beethoven X team didn't consult with a human who'd gone through this experience of trying to figure out what Beethoven had intended. He'd gone through this 30 years ago, 
and yet there wasn't any collaboration there. And there may be some legal or other reasons, professional jealousy, whatever, involved there, but I just find that somewhat peculiar, if not ironic. I kind of have a prediction that sometime in the future, it's going to be used in things like TV shows and movies in the background, kind of as a nod or a wink in the suspension of disbelief, a world that's almost but not quite real. I don't have a good record at all of predicting the future. I'll make one prediction here, and I'm very, very confident of this. Before machines replace humans, before algorithms replace humans, humans with algorithms will rule the day for a very long time. It's not robots versus humans. It's not algorithms versus humans. It's humans with algorithms versus humans without algorithms. That is where the competition is. And I have to think that humans with algorithms are going to be stronger and going to win out in that competition in almost every case. That is something a lot of us think about. There are many, many places where data and machine learning can be applied to in business, we do already, and we, we talk about that a lot in the show. It's certainly applicable in music and, and art, specifically, uh, as we learned today, in exploring different and unexpected patterns, ways beyond human capacity, I suppose. Why not use this kind of technology? And so long as you're doing it with a human touch, with human choices, and, and certainly in the way they achieved this bit of intent project, you know, I think the credit will always go with the producer of such projects, not necessarily the AI or the, the machines. They are the tools and the means to explore. Obviously, the human here, the producer, composer has to direct which areas, in which areas to explore more and which areas to uh, explore less. Those are all human decisions and, and artist decisions. And that's it for this special holiday episode. AI Transform with Ryokatsuki is produced by My Ninja Media. Check the show notes for links, interviews, and more information. Thanks for listening, and remember, your mind is the super tool. And if that doesn't work, use AI and keep transforming. And have a happy and prosperous new year. Mm-hmm.